I am Brian Sullivan, and tonight, hope or unhealthy hype? Drug companies reportedly testing weight loss drugs on kids as young as six. Another week, another failure to find a house speaker. How long will the Capitol Hill drama drag on? A solar meltdown. Solar stocks crashing today despite billions in taxpayer subsidies. Good news. In Detroit, we may finally have a real breakthrough in the auto worker standoff. Talking Tesla, the staggering sum Elon Musk has lost just this week. And unload your unwanted stuff. A new app for the Postmates founder can make sure you get some cash on the side. And hard to believe, but it's already week seven of the NFL season. I'll share my picks for the week to see if I can beat the books. And Lisa Kearney and you can all tell me where I'm wrong. All that and much more across the hour. So belly up or buckle up because last call is up right now. All right, happy Friday, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Sullivan. All that and more ahead. But first up on Last Call, it's quite the week for investors as the markets finally got real. We had one of the worst weeks for stocks in a while. Political tension in the Middle East have investors nervous. Concerns mounting about a possible ground invasion this weekend into Gaza. And on top of the war in Israel, interest rates continue to rise as bonds, excuse me, sell off. A 10-year breaking above 5% briefly yesterday. And that hit stocks, particularly banks. And if you thought the regional banking mess from earlier this year, remember that whole thing, was done? Well, you may want to think again. Look at what happened today and really this week. All right, this is just this week. Zion's Bank, one of the biggest regionals in America, down 13% regions, down 10%. Discover Financial, not a bank, but you get the point. Citizens and more all dropping. In fact, some of these names are down 15 or 20 or more percent over just 90 days. All right, hey, that is a tough way to start the show on a Friday, and we want this to be a mostly feel-good Friday. So how about this? The NASDAQ has soared this year. The NASDAQ 100 up nearly 40%, and even the broader market making you money up about 10% on the year. And though this week was tough, one of your first guests says, hang on, he thinks you're going to get a nice pop in stocks to round out the year. So let's talk about it and bring in our A-list panel. Joining us, Managing Director and Chief Market Technician at Piper Sandler, Craig Johnson, and Founding Partner and Chief Investment Officer at G-Squared Private Wealth Management, Victoria Green. Craig, you're holding steady. You got a 48.25 target on the S&P 500, which is a lot of upside from here. Make the bull case. Brian, it's about 14% upside. But, you know, this lead-in you had here, talking about all these negative things, interest rates, oil prices, geopolitical uncertainty, all these things. If you would have told me all these things put together, Brian, and we're only 8% off of a 52-week high, I would have said no way. This market is pretty Teflon in here at this point in time. And when I look at the S&P 500, all we've done is sort of correct back to and sort of just slightly undercut today. Uh, key support levels at the uptrend support line and also at the 200-day moving average. So, Brian, from my perspective, the market's already gotten oversold. We're already seeing divergences in terms of interest rates. We're already seeing this market fairly oversold on some overbought, oversold oscillators. The breadth of the market has already deteriorated. We've thrown a lot at this market, and a good friend of mine always says, one doesn't get hurt falling out of basement windows, and it sort of feels that's where we are compared to all these well, you said, Craig, you said that we started the show all negative, and then you just listed all this negative stuff, but I guess it sounds like you're saying 
that that's that's it's good now that the bad stuff is getting out of the way. Yeah, you're getting a lot of the bad stuff out of the way. The market is already sold off to a degree in here. But I think once we get some the clarity brought into what's going to happen in Washington, get through the earnings season, these kind of things, I think there's a real meaningful pop. Again, we're sticking with our 48, 25 year end objective, Brian. And we think that uh, there's still decent upside to go here. Victoria Green, I know you're not a technician. You are, you're a fundamentalist. You know, you look at, you know, Craig's looking at one thing. You may be looking at another, but I understand that you completely disagree. Yeah, just a little bit. And, and no offense, Craig, but I'm like, let's talk about this at the end of next week after we have, a, you know, you've got Meta, Google, uh, Amazon uh, coming in with their earnings next week. Tesla failed miserably. Discretionary is rolled over a little bit. We'll see if Amazon can hold up. Impossible for this market to rally if you do not have earnings confirmed last, next week. And you've got 17% of the S&P 500 reporting. That's barely holding those supports there. And so if we do break 4,200, it does kind of invalidate as both thesis. And you have all these macro headwinds and you're just not seeing some of the stock fundamentals hold up. Everybody wants to talk about earning revisions are better, but we're not seeing it. And you have these little pockets of the market that are working. Those are the ones that drove us up. If you start looking at sectors, it was discretionary, telecom and communications, or not telecom, I'm sorry, technology and communications that drove us up. And now they're starting to falter a little bit, especially discretionary rolling over hard. So if those are the stocks that was leadership and you've got S&P equal eight, Dow and, and everything else, Russell 1000 value negative on the year, how can you rally if the mega caps roll over. And so next week is the one I say this is going to make or break the rally or this downtrend we've been in since July is going to overrule this uptrend we've yeah. been in since October last year. So, Craig, Victoria said, how can you rally if the mega caps roll over? So I'm going to ask you this. How can we rally if the mega caps roll over? <laughs> Brian, let me say this. I respect the, the fundamental perspective in here. But again, I don't see people driving cars looking in the rearview mirror. Okay, so when we come back and we start looking at where the earnings estimates are at, Victoria, let's start rolling out to the 2024 numbers over 23. You're still talking about 12% year-over-year growth. You're talking at a multiple that's one turn higher post-World War II. A lot of this stuff is already priced in. And you come back and you look at the amount of cash sitting on the balance sheets of Apple, Microsoft, and all those companies. Again, tons of cash there, higher interest rates. They're probably going to be better than what a lot of people expect. And the earnings revision numbers? They're not coming down. So at this point in time, you're at a point where you've already baked in a lot of this negative nervousness, and you're going to see this market work to the upside. And I'd be a buyer here, not a seller. I'll take the other side of the trade, Victoria. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll buy you a beer next week if we if we, if it holds. But, you know, I'm a little worried that it's going to roll over a little bit like my my poor little Astros. They just chased Verlander. Uh, Rangers are <laughs> made me a little bit sad. So I'm a little worried, but we'll see who holds out here. I'm, I'm still calling with it being a little bearish. I think there's too many macro. And instead of looking, if you're looking forward, let's see what Tesla said. Tesla's worried about costs for consumers. All of the, some of the, the exciting new growth stocks, they're really struggling right now. Uh, you had solar rolling over, as you talked about. They're saying consumers yeah. aren't buying, some of them returning equipment. And the cost of debt, if we have this spike and you have real rates and suddenly you have this other alternative, we're in a yeah. Tara world where investors can can sit and make money in cash, your equity risk premium's the lowest it's been. There's options out there beyond yeah. buying stocks. And I know the cash thing, a lot well, of like people say that's bullish, but I see it as an option. Okay. I love, I love the bet because Craig's in Minneapolis where they probably already have three and a half feet of snow on the ground. I'm sure he doesn't drink at all. <laughs> uh, but it's Feel Good Friday, which I just invented like five minutes ago. Can you give us one idea? You're, you're a little worried, but can, is there, there's got to be something you like quickly. 
Oh, absolutely. I love Netflix. They did great last week and they're being absolutely brilliant how they're rolling out ads and adjusting pricing. So they're trying to drive people to that ad-based peer at $6.99 so then they can get ad revenue plus they're getting their, their membership subscription revenue and that's going to drive their average revenue per user up. So I see them as having just a really good strategy. And, and Brian, I'm okay. bullish oil. It's a good time to be sitting in some of those. I think Exxon might crush it next week. We're watching Exxon, the big caps. Great, great discussion there. Craig remains very optimistic. Craig and Victoria, great stuff, both of you. Have a great weekend. All right, meantime, let's check out your studs and duds of the week. The biggest winners of the week, VF Corp, Netflix, which Victoria just mentioned, and Dexcom, the biggest decliners. We're going to get more on these in a bit. Solar Solar Edge this week, that's basically all of that was today. Enphase, almost all that was today. Look at Moderna. Moderna down 18%. What is wrong with Moderna? All right, anyway, up next, Congress heading home for the weekend without a Speaker of the House. Again, how long could the drama in D.C. last? And maybe the big money story of the day, what we just touched on, energy stocks scorched. Why Europe's woes and even the Federal Reserve may help batter the clean energy revolution. All right, time now for tomorrow's news tonight. And here's a headline that you might be talking about tomorrow morning, although I hope not because it's Saturday and you just want to have fun. Anyway, debts and deficits are soaring in America. We got a new report out of the Treasury Department, and it shows the deficit continues to climb. It is closing in on $2 trillion. That is up a few hundred billion from last year. It's because of a toxic combination. The government continues to spend while tax collections continue to decline. We could soon be paying $1 trillion per year in interest on the national debt. Folks, that's stuff that's not going to the military, health care, education, or anything else. Just interest on the national debt and probably will widen the wealth gap because guess who owns stocks and bonds? Rich people. So there you go. All right. To Capitol Hill now with another week with no Speaker of the House and Congressman Jim Jordan ending his bid for the job after he lost his third vote. Emily Wilkins joining us now live. Emily, I feel like it's Groundhog Day in D.C. Um, How does the GOP move forward from here? Well, they are back to starting from scratch on finding a speaker. Um, You know, Jordan obviously uh, was not able to pull off uh, that third vote. Members then went into a room and they basically all had this secret ballot where they were like, hey, do you still even want Jim Jordan as the nominee? And he lost that vote. It was like 112 to 86. And so Jordan has now cleared the path for someone else to step up and run. We need to come together and figure out who our speaker is going to be. I'm going to work as hard as I can to help that individual so that we can go help the American people. Potential speaker candidates have the weekend to try and gather enough support before House Republicans hold a candidate form on Monday evening. And then once again, they will have another nomination vote on Tuesday morning. Now, a number of members have already announced that they will run, including House Whip Tom Emmer, and he's already earned former Speaker Kevin McCarthy's endorsement. Other members throwing their hat in the ring include Jack Bergman, Austin Scott, Byron Donalds. Now, none of these members might be as well known as Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan, But Kevin Hearn, yet another member who's thrown his hat into the ring, told me that that can be an advantage in getting to 217. I'll bring a different perspective than 
possibly anybody else that could be running in this uh, race. You know, spending a lifetime in business before coming here five years ago. Uh, it's not much different, quite honestly. There's a lot of uh, historical uh, relationships that some uh, are not going to ever be able to work around, and uh, I don't have those. You know, a lot of members are making calls right now. We might see more announcements before Monday. Uh, you know, Congressman Mike Johnson is making calls. Congressman Dan Muser are making calls. But the pressure is really going to turn up for Republicans to find a path forward as the White House is about to send that $105 billion request for funding for aid for Israel and Ukraine, among other priorities. Brian, remember, we are less than a month from when government funding shuts, uh, government funding runs out, and we could face yet another shutdown. Yeah. And, and to be clear, the Democrats could end this at any time if they if just a couple of them voted for somebody. Right. I mean, they could. But they're 100 percent voting against everybody. Is there anybody on the Republican side that we think that even a couple of Democrats would move over for? Because I'm sure they're enjoying this to a point. But the government is for both parties and all people. Well, what Democrats have kind of said is, look, we're not as interested in a person. We're interested in a plan. We want whoever the speaker is going to be to guarantee that the government's going to remain funded and that spending bills are going to be passed at the levels that the White House and Congress agreed to when they passed that debt limit back in June. And so that's kind of what Democrats are looking for. They're not really putting forward a name. They're saying, hey, we're willing to work with you, but you got to negotiate with us. We're not just going to give it to you for free. We got to come to a compromise well, I don't here. Think I, at this you know, point, given, Republicans have no interest in that. Yeah, I hear you. I don't know if anything's free, given that the debt deficit's going to $2 trillion, debt's at 33. And we just passed yesterday $100,000 per every man, woman, and child in debt. But let's just keep spending. Keep spending. Emily Wilkins, thank you. Have a great weekend. All right. In the meantime, with all due respect to singer Bonnie Tyler, an important group of stocks had a total eclipse of investor hearts today. And it was triggered by a company called Solar Edge. They make products for home and business solar, as well as things like EV chargers. And investors got obliterated today. The stock down nearly 30%. They warned about sales and demand, all kinds of problems in Europe. The news sending the entire solar mix and renewable group into the shadows. And the biggest ETF that tracks the group, ticker TAN, down again, now at its lowest level since July of 2020. Folks, all this despite billions, tens of billions of taxpayer-funded subsidies scheduled to go into this group as part of the IRA. So what exactly is going on here? Joining us now is editor of the Herb Greenberg on the Street Substack. His name is Herb Greenberg, thus the name of the Substack. He's also a CNBC contributor. And I got to give you a shout out, my man, because this should be no surprise to you. And I'm actually holding up paper. It's old fashioned. On August 30th, and I printed out your Substack on August 30th, you said red flag alert, solar storm. What did you see that others missed? Well, it was very clear if you looked at, and I was focusing on Solar Edge and its chief rival, Enphase. And what I saw was that the industry was being disrupted. There were major changes starting in California where there's a change in the laws that affect solar without getting into the details. And at the same time, you know, you were coming off a real boom in solar. And it, you know what? That works when interest rates are 0% and people are spending an enormous amount of money and they can take out loans. And now suddenly it's a lot harder at the same time because of these changes in the rules. The, uh, th the cost of putting solar in your house is that much higher. And for some people to pay back maybe that much longer. Yeah. And that was just in the U.S., Brian, because in Europe you had an entirely different thing going on where you had a warm winter, which happened to be impacted by 
you know, just so much inventory going in, thinking it was going to be a cold winter. Suddenly, there was just enormous competition and overflow of inventory. Oh, and by the way, Chinese competition. So that was really quite a storm. And go without getting into the nitty gritty of net, you know, energy metering three, NEM 3.0, as it's called. We don't have time for that. I want to th- we've talked about interest rates. OK, if you're going to put solar panels on your house, unless you're Herb Greenberg rich, Which I have. you're pro- OK. No, you're, you're, I have solar I'm, panels on my house. That's there. I, I figured that. But, but you get my point that for the middle class person to do it, they're probably going to borrow money. Higher rates, definitely a headwind for this type of stuff. Right. They can cost 10, 20, 30 thousand dollars and up. But also in, right. lame, in the way you can do it. Tell us how this new California rule. California wants everyone to have solar. But this new rule is so dumb, it's probably going to end up costing people from putting solar on their roof. The real simple aspect is the rule changes the amount of money I get for selling my energy into the grid. Now I get 75% less than I would have under the old rule. As a result, to make it work, I've got to add a lot of money by batteries, solar, ba- solar, pa- solar powered batteries, and putting them into my, into my house. So, so before you could sell, if you, over, and I want to be clear of what you're talking about, if you overproduced electricity, you produced more electricity from your solar panels than you consume, you can sell the other electricity or you could back into the grid and you'd actually have a negative bill. It was beautiful. I was looking at it, it and doing wonderful. it on my house as well. But now in California, you've got this rule change where they limit it. So that's going to hurt people who, when they do the calculation, right, they're going to say, I just can't make it work financially. I want to do it. I want to help the environment. But it doesn't make economic sense. It won't make the same economic sense it did. And I have to tell you one other thing, Brian. You know, these stocks have come down a tremendous amount. And we're just talking about the guys that sell the inverters, you know, the solar edge to end phase. But also, if you look at SunPower, which is an installer, that whole group is going to be hit. One thing, these stocks have come down quite a bit. When I wrote about them saying they were going to go down, they'd already fallen well more than 50%. Mm. Just remember, something that goes down 50% can go down another 50%. And even after this decline in stocks, there's still a tremendous amount of risk. Yeah. And every every analyst report I read on on today on Solar Edge was like, man, we're just not happy with the lack of visibility. Herb Greenberg, August 30th. You nailed it. That's two months ago. Thanks, Herb, thank you. All right. On deck. Could we finally be nearing the end of the UAW strike? Some potential good news ahead and Tesla's no good, very bad week. What CEO Elon Musk can do to turn it around. All right, welcome back. We are now entering week six of the UAW strike, and negotiations saw some, quote, serious movement today. Good news. But UAW President Sean Fain says they're still far from reaching a deal. I also find it a pathetic irony that every time they make an offer, it's the best they can do. It's a record offer. And then two days later, there's a new record. Because these extremely profitable companies have more to give. Now, the record contracts that Fain is referring to are the latest offers from Ford, GM, and Stellantis. All three have offered 23% wage jumps, along with other benefits. So what will it take to get a deal? Joining us now is Mike Whalen, CBC Auto Reporter. Mike, I guess I'm going to find some optimism in the fact that Sean Fain was not wearing a shirt that said, you know, eat the rich or something like that. He was just, you know, he was forceful. But it didn't appear like it felt like he was kind of backing off the optics a little bit. You know, I think the automakers would be happier if Bain was actually more forceful and escalated the strikes. That sounds counterintuitive. But even he said in his remarks tonight that the last effort 
is going to be a major one and that the union still feels it has cards to play. We've been kind of looking at this as a strategic game. In reality, it's kind of turned into a poker tournament. Bain says that the union still has cards to play and it's waiting till the automakers have no more money to give to kind of go all in and kind of call what the automakers are going to do. And Ford has been sitting out of this a little bit and it has the best offer on the table. Yet he heavily yeah. criticized them tonight. And GM and Stellantis haven't been struck in Stellantis for a month and GM since September 29th, while it took out Ford's most profitable plant last week. So, I mean, they are playing yeah. a tournament game and Mike, here, Mike, a sorry poker. To, <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to jump in on you, but time is tight. We, we talked a little bit about this last night with Mark Fields. You know, the UAW, is they have advisors. They, they have PR people in D.C. Yeah. They've got some guys in Brooklyn that I think were used to work for Bernie Sanders. They've got a very pro-labor consulting base. They're not the ones doing all this. They're being advised by people that I'm, I'm, I'm betting they're paying a lot of money to. Is there a? But they're not Detroit people. Is there a chance that the UAW overplays its hand and just blows it up? Not yet. They are. The strategy has been working, and it's going to continue to work because they're going to have third quarter earning, earnings next week for GM and Ford that are relatively healthy and show that the company is still making profits. And the automakers are probably going to say, if we, the UAW strike expands, it's going to hurt us this much in the fourth quarter. And it's just going to feed into the union's capability and their strategy to kind of drag this out more to get the best offer. So yes, it could blow up, but as of right now, the strategy is still working. Well, let's hope those consultants in DC and Brooklyn, not Dearborn, don't damage the UAW. Critical time. Mike Whalen, thank you very much. All right, in the meantime, it's been a very bad, terrible, no good week for Tesla investors and a guy named Elon Musk. Tesla tanking 15% in just five days, worst week of the year. That has knocked $130 billion in value for the company just since Monday. Random but interesting. That $130 billion is nearly as much as the value of GM, Ford, and Stellantis combined. And that drop knocked $16 billion off Elon Musk's wealth. How's he going to feed his family? Well, think it'll be okay. Musk is still the richest man in the world. But the trouble does not stop with Tesla. Officials at NASA apparently getting impatient with SpaceX due to the rocket company's moon mission delays. Let's talk about everything Musk and Teslarian. Joining us tonight is Gerber Kawasaki President and CEO Ross Gerber and Wall Street Journal tech reporter and CBC contributor Tim Higgins, also the author of Power Play, Tesla, Elon Musk, and the Bet of the Century. Ross, obviously, listen, Tesla's made people a lot of money over the years. One week, a couple months, does not a trend make. But I follow you on Twitter, X, excuse me, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. You'd like to see some changes at Tesla regarding advertising and some other things, correct? Yeah, I mean, as you go back a year, this is what caused me to run for the board. And, and we kind of came to terms and, and Elon again reiterated that he would look into advertising and and they have done some things, but it's just such a minimal effort. And and just now on X, we're going back and forth with Elon and, and Omar about the sphere and what an amazing advertising vehicle this is in Vegas. And I, I was like, why isn't Tesla putting ads on the sphere? So it's not like he doesn't hear me or see it. And I just don't understand the reluctance when every company in the world advertises. And there's a reason we do, because it actually works. Well, you didn't need to advertise, Tim. If you had it, listen, I know people bought Teslas. I drove the first Tesla in, I think, 2009. I know people, they bought them. They're never going to drive anything ever again. They told, they were like, 
they were like, you know, what, like almost a cult in a way, right? They would go up to somebody and say, dude, you got to drive my Tesla, right? With these big eyes and whatever. Now there's competition, Tim. Now there's actual competition to Ross's point. Maybe you need to convince the non-believers why your car is better than the other guys. No, that's the argument. Yeah, it used to be viral marketing. And now uh, what do you got? Well, Elon would say that the, the bigger issue is that they're the, the, getting people to afford the car. And that's why he's spending so much effort to kind of whittle away at the cost behind it. It's it's a more of an issue of, of people being able to get into the vehicle, not that they know about it. He, he would essentially argue that everybody knows about this car and want it, but they just can't afford it. Yeah. Do you think, Tim, that the uh, the price cuts are going to help because they're damaging margins? So they better work in getting more people's butts in a Model 3 and a Model Y. Well, they've worked uh, somewhat, uh, but you think, you know, given how much they've cut you, you perhaps think that the, the volume increases would have been maybe bigger. At least that's what some people talk to me say. Uh, you know, there is this argument that maybe it would be cheaper and better for the brand to be spending money, spending that money on advertising, at least to yeah. be uh, kind of teaching or educating a new audience about the about the brand. I, I, you know, Ross, Elon Musk, whatever you think of him, is going to be one of the greatest businessmen in the history of the world ever. But do you feel like he's stretched stretched too thin? <laughs> well, if you consider him a human being, I don't know how he's not. And, you know, if you look at reading his book, he basically works three years for every one year that the rest of us work. And and he doesn't take any time off or vacations. And it takes a toll on people. You know, Elon and I are now in our early 50s. And, and you know, honestly, I'm exhausted just running one company with two kids. So, you know, I, I'm in a lot better shape than Elon, to be honest. So I, I think he it's a point where you got to look at yourself and say, what you know, I want to get to Mars and I want to build this company that's going to sell 20 million EVs. But you know, is the toll X is taking on me? Is it really worth it if it prevents me from getting to my yeah. real goal? You think you should try to sell Twitter slash X? Well, I, I, I think Bill Ackman wants to help him buy it. So, you know, quite frankly, I'm an yeah. investor in X, to be honest. I'd love to be able to get my money out. You know? Yeah. All right, we'll see. Yeah, listen, you wonder how he does. Maybe it's like the movie The Prestige. There's like three of them. I think I just ruined the movie, but there's a 20-year statute of limitations. Ross and Tim, thank you very much. All right, still ahead. Ozempic for kids? Drug makers may start testing weight loss drugs for kids as young as six. Two doctors will chime in next. Welcome back. It's something we've covered quite a bit here on Last Call. Weight loss drugs like Ozempic and Manjaro. Seems like everybody's on them. But now a new twist. Weight loss drugs for kids. Bloomberg reporting Eli Lilly planning to test its diabetes drug Manjaro for kids ages 6 and up. Comes as Novo Nordisk began testing Sexenda, an older version of Ozempic and Wegovy, also in kids as young as 6. Obviously, childhood obesity become a serious problem in recent years. Now nearly 13% of two to five-year-olds are considered obese, and that number jumps to 21%. One in five kids aged six to 11 are not overweight, they're obese. But let's talk about the ethics here. Dr. Mark Hyman, who is against weight loss drugs for kids, he's the founder and director of the Ultra Wellness Center, and Dr. Sue Dakotas, who thinks drugs could be, maybe, part of the solution in treating childhood obesity She's a weight loss doctor and attending physician. Uh, Dr. Hyman, first to you. Uh, we know that child, not just childhood obesity, but obesity in general has become a crisis the last 10 to 20 years. It has literally exploded. I think there are now two states where half the population 
is yeah. considered obese, not overweight, but actually technically obese. obese. What do you think? Weight loss drugs for kids, good idea or no? I think it's problematic for many reasons. First of all, it doesn't address the fundamental issue, which is our toxic food environment that's producing ultra-processed food, which is 67% of kids' diet, and that it's shown to be addictive. Uh, according to the recent study in the British Medical Journal analysis, there were 21, 281 studies in 36 countries that showed that 14% of adults and 12% of kids meet the technical classification for food addiction. And if you look at that compared to alcohol, it's 14% in alcohol. So this is a massive problem. I think weight loss drugs can be helpful in select populations, but it's interesting that everybody's piling on Ozempic, which basically costs $21,000 a year. If you look at 15 million kids who are obese, not overweight, that's $316 billion. It's 1.4 trillion if you ask, scale that up to all over obese Americans. This is just untenable from a financial perspective. Yeah. And what, what's really concerning to me is that no nobody's really talking about the downsides, which are side effects that are emerging more and more. Recently, a JAMA paper was published that showed there, that there were significant gastrointestinal side effects and is over 4,000 patients studied, published in October 23 yeah. in JAMA, with pancreatitis being um, has a ratio of nine, a, a small bowel obstruction hazard ratio of 4.2 and, and paralyzed stomach 3.8. Now, just to put that in perspective, if we see a hazard ratio of 1.5 in medicine, we jump and down and get excited about a great impact of a, an, an intervention. But this is a serious consequence yeah. of these drugs. So I think we're, 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 hold on. We, sure, I, let me get in, Dr. Dakota. So, yeah. Dr. Dakota, so this, this could be, could this be, listen, here, the reality is this. If you consume fewer calories than you in, ingest, you, you will lose weight. Uh, but not that's necessarily, not, that, no? not necessarily. Yeah. So what we do is we have a population now of children and adults who are insulin resistant. Yeah. And what this means is that they can't really lose weight on their own. When insulin is not working well, they could go on the best diet in the world. They could exercise and so they're what, not getting Can you go into that, Dr. Dakotas? I didn't, I'm not, not aware of this. I have no idea what you're talking about, but, but I want to hear <laughs> I, I, But I'm, I'm seriously, I'm interested so what is, insulin so what have is, we what, yeah. have we what have we done what have we done to ourselves and our food system it's and our bodies to make lifestyle. this happen so this is a disease now i agree our food supply is not good we have chemicals in our food and we even have chemicals in our soil and i have a, i have a background in, in functional medicine and i was shocked to learn that there are chemicals in the soil of organic farms so, yes, we have done this to ourselves, to our food supply, but I'm a physician and I have to treat the disease. So if I have a patient that comes in and cannot lose weight on their own yeah. and they're 20, 30 percent overweight. And if you're dealing with a child who's now having some of the problems that adults have, like fatty liver, sleep apnea, this is the youngest generation. A lot of these kids are not going to outlive their parents. It's just, this it is, and by the way, and as we, the kids. It, 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 it's a great point. And Dr. Uh, Dr. Hyman, you know that, listen, I'm on this side of the camera. I could tell you that there's things you just, just don't talk about. The media just does not yeah. talk about it because it's, just, it's yeah. tough and you don't want to be sort of blaming somebody, but let's go back to these weight loss drugs. Okay. I'm going to read you a text I got from a bariatric surgeon friend of mine said, the crazy thing is, is that studies have shown a nearly 100% recidivism rate once the people come off the weight loss medications. In other words, when you use WeGovy and you use Ozempic and you use Mount Jaro and you mm -hmm. lose weight, once you stop going on, once you go off it, because of some of the issues you just brought up, 
you're probably going to regain all the weight. I disagree. Right. Now, in my practice, Dr. I've been Hyman, okay, able go ahead, doctor. to get many patients off the drug. I, I think they, it's possible to get people off the drugs, but it, it is a problem. You lose 40% of the weight as muscle. You 65% no, you don't. regain so all Dr. the weight. So, Dr. Hyman, every patient that's on these drugs needs to, needs to be followed with a body composition scale. So I'm seeing these patients every two weeks. I'm measuring body fat. I'm measuring mm. their muscle. And many physicians who prescribe these drugs are not telling patients they need to hydrate. They need a gallon of water a day. And when we do that, we see the body fat come down and we see insulin get rebooted. I agree with you. I think insulin is the problem, but insulin is not a disease that is independent of our diet. It's driven by our diet. And I have patients, for diet example, helps, full-blown but if, type if 2 diabetes. And no, no, listen, they listen. need to diet and <laughs> exercise. We need to help them. The reason is that because the food environment is toxic and we don't have the behavior change strategies in medicine that are built yeah. in. We've seen at our practice in Cleveland Clinic, people lose over 100 pounds, reverse type 2 diabetes, reverse heart failure in very quick time, in, in months, and keep the weight off by understanding how to get off of the addictive food. So, yes, it's a but problem. Yes, they're not going to do people that. Will need so when their insulin okay. is controlled, they're not as hungry it's a good, all the time. It's a good, it's a good debate, Dr. Dakotas. It's a good debate. It's a good discussion because that's a whole different topic. Let me just ask you this, Dr. Dakotas. Should six-year-olds be on weight loss medication? No. I mean, I think we have to test this first, okay? It has not been adequately tested. Right now, the American Academy of Pediatrics says it's okay for patients over the age of 12. But if we test it and it's Which is safe, very I disturbing. we can try it very carefully. The American Academy of Pediatrics also takes a lot of money from the food industry and also from the pharma industry. So they're not an independent, unbiased source. And I, I am very concerned about putting our kids on this for their lifetime with, with really untested side effects. There was a great article in the New England Journal that came out years ago that says, be sure to use new drugs as soon as they come out before the side effects develop. Well, the side effects are developing, and we're seeing this increasingly mm. uh, evident in the yeah. literature. So well, I, I'm concerned that we're that not dealing with a real problem. I think patients well, have to be properly monitored. What about the side effects of being chronically obese? But, Absolutely, that, you're right. And, but we, that's and not by the, the way, but we have to we have to go, Doctor Dakota, Doctor Hyman. I think we also realized the last couple of years that that there are a lot of uh, issues with national health in general. But that's for a different topic and a different show. Thank you both very much. You guys should connect, share share data. Thank you. Very share, share some data. You, you agree probably. on a lot. You agree on a lot. All right, let's lighten it up a bit and head now to quicker than the ticker. All the best of the rest of the headlines. Let's put sixty seconds on the clock. Call it candy inflation. Halloween spending hitting new highs. The National Retail Federation says we're going to spend $12.2 billion this year, up from $10.6 last year. Amazon testing out humanoid robots. Look at this. It's called Digit, and it can grasp and hold and lift things. The head of Amazon's robotics says, fear not, Amazon will always need people. Pepper X crowned the new hottest chili pepper on record. Ed Curie, who grew the former record holder, the Carolina Reaper, just outdid himself. He said when he first tried the Pepper X, he felt the heat for three and a half hours, and then the cramps came. Freeze, a Polish man arrested after pretending to be a mannequin in a Warsaw mall. He played dumb, me, and waited for the shopping center to close before robbing a jewelry stand. From retail theft to alleged paleontological theft, you heard it right. Over a million dollars worth of dinosaur bones allegedly stolen from federal land in Utah and exported to China. Four people indicted on 13 different counts.
All right, coming up, want to cash in on your clutter? Who doesn't? The founder of Postmates has a new game-changing app to help you sell your stuff. Back to last call, I want you to imagine this, an on-demand service that pays you cold, hard cash for some of your stuff. That is the concept behind TipTop, a new app founded by the same guy who founded the food delivery service Postmates. The goal? To cut out the legwork of selling something and more easily predict a product's future resale value. It's got backing from big names like Mark Andreessen and his venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz. So how exactly does it work? How big can it get? And what... Could they buy from you? Let's bring in the guy that founded the company. That is Bastian Lehman. Uh, Bastian, good to have you on Last Call. Uh, thanks for having me. Okay, so what can I sell you right now on TipTop? You can sell us right now over 50,000 electronic devices. Just elect- electronics for now? That's what the category we start. What about with? a yes. couch? Not right now. A bike? Eventually. Eventually. Yes. And I would assume that is because that this thing, this phone, is fairly, my f- iPhone is pretty much probably the same as your iPhone. And so it's easier for algorithms to value? The, the, it's, very, it's very easy. Uh, electronic devices over the last couple of years rent solid states, no more parts. They don't break anymore. They have a little wear and tear, but that's about it. And the aftermarket value in these devices is extremely high. It's just very difficult for you as a private person to extract. Of course, you can go down the traditional route. You can go to eBay. You take some mm-hmm. photos, add a description, maybe meet someone you've never met before. Pain in the... All with no guarantee of sale. Meet your new favorite app, Tip Top Cash, that will solve that problem for you. Yeah, I mean, there's been some, th- Gazelle, I think, was a company that would, that would buy your stuff back from you and, and sort of, you know, question, you say, look, what's the value of, of what I'm getting here? Did you found the company because it is just a, it's just a lot easier to buy stuff than it is to sell stuff? Look, uh, one of the great motivators when you create a new product and when you work hard on it is that you want to use it yourself. And we went out there and we used all the trade-in products, all the resale platforms that are there, and boy, is it frustrating. Mm. It is a frustrating experience. It's almost as if they're designed to not give you your money's worth. And we thought we can contribute something. This is a category that needs to be reinvented, that needs to be changed, it needs to be made a whole lot easier for the American consumer. So we designed TipTop with that idea in mind. We connect the app to your Gmail or to your Amazon account. Mm -hmm. We use AI to find the things you own. We turn these things into instant cash offers. We allow you to tap a button. A courier comes, Mm -hmm. takes the item away, and within a couple of minutes, you get the money on your debit card. Okay, so that sounds good. I'd like to know how much I'm getting on my debit card, how you value the products, and also, when I do turn in my phone, I have to wipe it. I've got to make sure I'm not logged into anything. God forbid that I sell you my phone and I forget to clear critical information. Talk to us about how you value products and talk to us about how you secure products. We, we secure products um, in, in, in the same way that um, uh, we, we, we look at them when we, when we receive them. Uh, we would never wipe them uh, without uh, your consent. As a matter of fact, we can't wipe them if you haven't wiped them. Yeah. So we make it very clear uh, in, the, in the app that you have to send us a product that is unlocked, that does not contain any personal information. If not, we'll send it right back to you. I was go- you so you will send it back. Absolutely. I forget to log out of iCloud or Absolutely. Gmail, whatever it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And the market, look, the market of electronic devices is very interesting. It is somewhat predictable. So what we have done over the last year, we wrote 
a lot of computer software that predicts the value of 50,000 consumer products and tries to understand that value in two and three years in the future. Mm -hmm. And that is the value assets that we use to value the devices that you sell us. And, and we got to go. But how big can you be? I mean, will, can I give you my couch at some point? Because I need a, I have a couch I would like to sell you, Bastion. Look, Brian, we think this is the future. This is the future of selling. And we believe that the American consumer can say goodbye to selling forever. That sounds like a no to my couch. For now, for now, Bastion Lehman, founder of Postmates, and now tip top, not TikTok. Tip, tip top. top. Bastion, a pleasure to meet you, and uh, good luck. Congrats on your success. Thank you for having me. We'll watch you grow. All right, coming up, nobody said that beating Vegas was easy, but I'm trying. And we're going to break out my top NFL picks this weekend, and a top sports analyst is going to coach me and maybe you along. That is next. All right, let's wrap up the week with one of your favorite segments. I know, can Brian beat the books all NFL season to pick at three games against the spread to see if somebody like me can actually come out ahead in the end? So far, not so good. On the season, I am 8-9-1 and one against the spread. Long way to go, though, so let's go. And joining us again is Lisa Kearney of FanDuel. She will like or dislike my picks and offer up her valuable insight. All the lines come courtesy of FanDuel. Lisa, welcome back. Are you ready? I am ready. I have stepped up my game a little okay. bit, so let's see how you do. We have signage. Okay, you're going to destroy. I, I, you may hate all three of these. I think I do, actually, and they're my picks. All right, first one, Seahawks minus 7.5 at home against the Cardinals. Seahawks underrated. Cardinals have given up eight rushing touchdowns, third most in the league, two more touchdowns than their own offense has scored, and they have lost their last three games by 19, 14, and 17. Give me the Hawks minus 7.5 in Seattle. Yeah, I like I like this pick. Ooh. I mean, you just spelled it out for everyone. Arizona is depleted at every single level. James Conner now, of course, on IR. Kyler Murray still not back. Um, honestly, they've been outscored by 50 points over this three-game losing streak. Defensively, they're allowing better than 70% completion rate to opposing quarterbacks. 30th in yards and points allowed in the league per game. Uh, offensively, can they run? Yeah, but then Seattle comes in with the best run defense in the league when it comes to yards yeah. per rush. So they're just outmatched all over the place. And so like, I am with you. 80% of the spread money at the FanDuel Sportsbook is with Seattle. I'm with you and wanna... the public. I think they're going to cover that big number. Yeah, I, will... I don't like it when the, when the public is on my side, though. That's my problem. All right, next pick up, and we're going to go with the team last week we call the Creamsicle Pirates. Tampa Bay. Minus two and a half at home against Desmond Ritter and the Atlanta Falcons. Tampa, top six rushing D, going to force Ritter to pass. He's got a 61% percentage completion. I'm betting he throws an interception. I think it'll be close, but I think the Bucs win and cover. Yeah, so I, I like this Woo. play as well. I don't love it. Listen, the Falcons are going to travel that stout defense. Uh, they're, they are giving up the fourth fewest passing yards per game. They're holding teams all season long to less than 100 yards rushing. Uh, you've got Jesse, you've got Jesse Bates, Calais Campbell, David Anyamata. Those guys are keeping the offense on the field. But hey, the Bucks come in with a defense that's holding opponents to 3.7 yards per carry. They're very stout against the run as well, which I think is going to be very problematic for this Falcons offense that's still kind of trying to figure out what they have in Bijan Robinson. They're one in five ATS this season. The only time mm -hmm. Sully they've covered was week one against the still winless Panthers. 
it's a tight line, but I still feel comfortable laying the points. Yeah. All right. Finally, for my last pick, I wanted my Chargers. I'm the only Chargers fan left, Lisa. Plus five and a half at Kansas City. I love the game, but I don't want to jinx it by going with it. So instead, and this is, this is I hate this pick. I'm going with the New England Patriots getting eight and a half at home against the Bills. I don't like the Pats. I don't like Mac Jones. I don't like Bill Belichick. And honestly, I could see the Bills winning by three touchdowns, but they're banged up on defense. And I'm, this is a follow the money play. The Patriots getting most of the big money bets. Somebody knows something. I'm following other people that are probably smarter than me. Uh, Sole, I, I'm not sure we're watching the same team, even getting eight and a half points. They have failed to cover an 11 straight games as an underdog with Mac Jones under center. The Bills have absolutely dominated this team in recent years. They have four straight wins against them, all by at least 12 points. The Patriots come in, they're averaging less than 12 points this season per game, 11.7 points. They can't run, they can't pass. They're, they're banged up on defense, injuries everywhere. I think that this is going to be a blowout game. Gift wrap the points solely, give them all away, and more. Uh, I am definitely taking the Bills. They are going to be hot. Okay, I knew it. Listen, I almost went with the Chargers. If I go 2-1, and one, if we go 2-1, and one, well, you'll go 3-0 and oh if the Bills don't, you know, if the Bills cover. Lisa Kearney, thank you so much. Appreciate it, folks. Love <laughs> to hear Friday. from you. Have an awesome weekend. Go Patriots! See you.